do what you love every day. That's the, that's the one rule I live by. Do what you love every day because it's a two-parter. It forces you to have to know what you love in order to do it. And then you got to just do it every day. No matter what, even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's an hour, even if it's whatever, because the amount of development that you will instill into your life and the amount of energy that you will pull towards that goal and the amount of focus that everyone around you will start to have towards your goals, that's the catalyst, I think, to a lot of success. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Live an Extraordinary Life. I am your host, Tim Bishop, and this podcast serves as a guide to help you define what an extraordinary life is for yourself. And today's guest is Keenan the First. Keenan is a music entrepreneur. He really does it all from being an artist, to being a producer, to being his own manager, to playwriting and being involved with theater. Man, seriously, this guy does it all. He's got a really cool and inspiring life story and his perspective I find to be very refreshing. So, hope that you enjoy the conversation that we had. Here it is. All right, so we are here today with uh, Keenan the First. Keenan, what's going on, man? Yo, what's up, man? Thank you so much for, for inviting me on the podcast absolutely so you got to give us a little backstory uh why keenan the first uh what is the significance of the name uh the name that's a really interesting story um well originally i was kingpin and (laughs) everybody in high school called me kp (laughs) or or king or whatever and when I was releasing music, I would, I would realize there's like 10 million versions of Kingpin out there. And this was probably, you know, 2009, 2010. And when, when I, you know, started actually putting music on the internet and starting to see just like, you know, the traction and how things move, I was like, man, I need to, I need to consider changing my name, but I wasn't ready to do it at that point. And so it was like, 2014 I was getting ready to graduate my football career was coming to an end I knew I was going to move to LA and I was working on this project my senior year and I kind of wanted to rebrand myself in a new light and so there was a joke that I used to always tell people was that uh or like this joke I would do this I would fly back home from from Wyoming to Minnesota and on my plane ticket I would do like the suffix of the first and I would just say, yeah, I'm the first, but I got no kid. And that was just a, fun, a funny little joke to me. But um, as I started taking more, like, I was in my capstone literature course, and we were talking about the importance of first experiences and how, like, we as humans have placed such a value on, like, virginity. Like, the first time you have sex has a whole different name than the rest of everything. And like your birthday is the first day that you came onto the earth that you celebrate every single year. And like, you know, there's like little things like that that we just cherish. And I started to realize that like the first time you do something is kind of the most crucial point because it's the most fear and anxiety you can have. But also when you do something for the first time and you accomplish it, it's like the most uh, like euphoric it can be. The same thing with with drugs. Like people talk about the first high for for years, and so I wanted to 
that was when I was like, you know what? I actually, I actually dig the first as a concept. Just, just thinking about doing something for the first time. The, the, the double sidedness of having fear, but also having elation in relation to that one, that one phrase. So I just ran with it. Hey man, that's a that's a better story than I thought I was gonna get. Honestly, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's that's so that's so true, man. I mean, honestly, I you resonate with that so much. Like the first time you do something, whether it's whether it's good or bad, you know, like for a lot of people, that first time can be what holds them back from trying stuff. Because you mentioned that fear, anxiety, all that, all that stuff. Yeah. Like that first that first can be scary and super exciting and like everything all at the same time and. So yeah, yeah. Bro, that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, and like the first time. Um, you want to give me a quick rundown too of just like what you're up to right now? Yeah. So <clears throat> I just recently moved to Chicago. I haven't even really officially told people that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just slipped away. I said I was. Oh, Irish goodbye. Huh. I said an Irish goodbye. You just kind of dipped in and showed up to yeah, a new town. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And it was, it, it's more like I've been dating my girlfriend for 10 years. And we, we were high school sweethearts. She, uh, I don't know, she went to Iowa. I went to Wyoming. And then she went to medical school in Florida when I moved to L.A. And then she ended up getting finding her way to California with her rotations. And then I was in a situation where she became a doctor in Chicago and I was, I had just quit my job in LA and I was doing music full time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to use my new agency to just like dip away to Chicago for the summer. And then I realized I could have a lot of the same things I had in LA, but still be with my girlfriend. So I'm in Chicago now and I'm working on, you know, I kind of just revamped my whole team situation because I'm, I relocated and so I've just been working on my own production just getting my my production chops up I just dropped an EP called cat season which is like a an ode to my cats <laughs> and I'm working on this like longer form project called blender cool man and then and in the meantime I'm also doing like voiceover for this YouTube series um i'm also just like i just produced a track that came out this this artist's name i am chelsea i am she's in new york and just been doing uh i write with this producer named sock Passe as well so i do a lot of like just submitting songwriting ideas and stuff on the side as well cool right on bro well uh let's let's dive into the journey a bit so i know you were you were born in in minnesota right yeah, there. Okay, and then, uh, so I'm curious, like, at what point did music come in, or was it always there? So you went off to school in Wyoming, you said, for, you play football, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, my, my dad is a producer. My dad's actually a, a film composer now. Okay. Um, and he start, he was a producer when I was, like, a young, a young boy. And he had a studio in our crib. And they would just have people come through doing sessions. We would always be listening to music. And I actually hated music at that when I was like a kid, like seven to 12, I guess. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, just because it was always like, it was always one song a million times. You know what I mean? Because my dad was, was a very attention to detail producer. And so for us as kids, it was like, man, I'm sitting in the back of the car listening to the same song 48 times. Bro. <laughs> Crazy. 
So, <laughs> I like gravitated towards football super early on and that became my my main focus in life was football and so it wasn't until I was like maybe 12 or 13 when I started writing and started like building a love for music um, but football was like there was always an expiration date on on football that I could see and so I, that just kind of took the precedence in my life but I would say 12 was when I when I officially like fell in love with music cool so it's kind of a kind of a family business too that's cool um so then you're going off to school for football and mm. at what point was there that mindset shift into like this was actually something that i want to go pursue you went out to la you know you went to try to go i'm soon make connections and just that's where the hustle and bustle seems to be happening in the music industry uh, what was right. like, what was the turning point there? What was your thought process going on? Is you said you had an expiration Man. date for football, and was it always yeah. music or nothing after that, or was it? Did you were you considering things or, like, what was that internal dialogue going on inside your brain? That I mean, that's a really interesting question because that that's something that I still talk with about football with football players. It's like there is this expiration date that we all know is looming over our head. You either injure out of football or you just retire. You know what I mean? Like, like right. you rarely have just like a choice to leave because you're so indoctrinated in the like culture of it. And especially the higher up you go, when you go to division one, it's like, yo, that's, you're literally right next to the dream that you've been slaving away for, for years. And so for me, I knew it was going to end, but my goal, my plan was to go to the NFL, go undrafted to the Vikings, make a little bit of money, and then do music. That was like mm. the, the fantasy I created for myself. Gotcha. But I had my fourth concussion my senior year, and it was like, it got serious for a minute because it was like, I had a meeting with the, the, my head coach, the team doctor, a neurologist, and my parents all basically them trying to convince me that like I was too smart and had too much of a future to like continue with football. And so when I went to LA, it wasn't like, it wasn't the way that you would think where it's like, Oh, I'm going to LA. I can't wait to start my music career. It was more like my identity was in shambles and I needed to recreate mm -hmm. myself. And the best place to do that was somewhere that was huge that I could get lost in and like discover more things about myself Dang. and so that was just like the, the the context of like I really didn't think I was going to be 22 pursuing music fully I was still coming to terms with the fact that like I my whole identity as a football player was kind of stripped away from me okay so you go you go straight to LA after your identity is swiped and then mm -hmm. I assume those first couple months were were tough. <laughs> you give me a can you can you give me a a point where you kind of started to reform that identity or or something that you kind of started to do on your own to just sort of like build yourself back up because I think that I mean for a lot of us or people in general I won't you know say everyone but you know that that is almost scary to have I mean one if it gets destroyed on your own, like your, your path or what you were going for, there's a roadblock. You got to right. make a new shift. But also I think a lot right. of people 
are scared to put that roadblock up themselves. If you're going on the path, you know, you don't want to go on, but it's like scary to switch paths. And like you said, that first step of, all right, now you had another first step, which is you got to reshape yourself. You got to remake, you know, your identity and who you want to be. And so what was, I mean, you can just talk about LA in general, like that time out there. I mean, it seems like you were able to shape a new identity for yourself. And I'm curious, like what questions you're asking yourself and how you went about doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, the first thing that I did, I was, so my degree is in English literature. And my, like one of the last courses I took was intro to theater. And my professor was a screenwriter in his past life. And he was like, giving us a little bit of game on screenwriting, but not seriously. And my whole, my whole interest got peaked because I was like, you know what, I did some journalism internships. I didn't like journalism. I kind of knew like the print world is going to shambles. And like, I didn't really know how to use my, I was think, I was always thinking in two parts. Like, what is my professional life going to be? And then what is my artistic life going to be? Because for whatever reason, I convinced myself that I couldn't create like money immediately. So I was like, okay, I need to find a job. I can use my degree to find a job. And then I can just pursue music on the side. So my first venture was actually trying to get into grad school for screenwriting. I applied to USC and UCLA. Didn't get in because those are the most competitive schools in the country. <laughs> right. But I was still, I, I, I always have this football mentality of like being a competitor. And so I was like, I'm only going to go back to school if I can go to the top two programs. Didn't get in. And then my, my dad's homie was an actor and he was like, yo, what are you trying to do? What kind of writing are you trying to do? And I was like, uh, comedy, because I think I'm funny. <laughs> and so he was like, you should, go to, you should go to Second City LA. And so I go to Second City, and I signed up for this like late night TV writing class. And bro, I kid you not, the first day I walked in, there's a woman standing there, and she was like, points at me in the middle of a crowd. And she goes, hey, do you sing? And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, we have this show. It's called Afros and Ass Whoopings. It's blah, 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 blah. And I, like, I didn't hear a single word after that. And then she like passed me off to this dude who was a director. And he was like, yo, uh, send me all your information in an email. So I went home that night. And I remember talking to Marcellus because we were in the living room together. And I was like, bro, I've never been a part of theater. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just going to send this dude this email anyway. So I sent him an email with like, Every like it was the worst email ever because it was everything I've ever done instead of like, <laughs> you know what he was asking for. Right. But he, essentially, the situation was it was a musical about black people and the police. It was a comedic musical, and he needed he needed actors that could sing. But he realized quickly that like I was a singer who couldn't act. <laughs> like, that doesn't help me either. And so he offered me. Uh, an assistant director position for that play. And like I said, I've never been a part of theater before. I had never even really seen a play up to that point. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Because at that point, I understood what my name meant to me. And it was like, this is either going to be the most fearful thing and anxious thing. I'm going to say no and wonder whatever happened. Or I'm going to say yes and just like trip through all of the obstacles. And so I said, yes. And then that ended up being a community that I could nestle into and 
find music opportunities through because I met actors and writers and directors and you know my my first community was the the theater world and the improv world and so yeah I just started end up like I started doing guest appearances on improv shows and started doing like little bit little videos here and there and just people started recognizing me from like little things that I was doing I I even did like a a soundtrack for a Christmas movie (laughs) at a show that I did in front of seven people this woman this woman just worked for a production company it was like oh I referred you to this guy because he needed a rapper for something you know what I mean and that was like where I started to blossom I guess in LA dang man that's crazy what are the odds that someone just points at you and goes do you say you're like she being serious <laughs> dude I, I i to this day i thank her for picking me out of the crowd <laughs> dude i mean those so situations seem like so wild and so lucky but i mean people don't believe in this i do but like that everything happens just for a reason because i mean if you just keep putting yourself out there in those kind of ways, like something's going to go right. Right. If you, what's the saying, you keep preparing yeah. your fields, like the rain's going to come. Like, I just believe that, I mean, that was the step one was going there. And then it sounds like step two was like sitting there and be like, all right, like I know it's going to be a challenge. I could run from it and it'll never happen. Right. Or I can just dive into it and then I'll face the obstacles as they come and it'll grow into who knows what, but you kind of had to make right. those two choices, which, which is pretty cool. Yeah, man, I think that's really one of the greatest keys to any any success I've had was blind trust that I'll be able to work through it without without actually knowing, you know what I mean? Right. Where do you think that that confidence came from? You know, it came from you mentioned your competitive side in sports. Like, do you think it originated from football? Yeah, I mean, I'm like when it comes to I don't know what like even even when I'm down I come out of situations by being becoming like a workaholic like I don't like to brood about things and so in that moment I didn't really know that many people in LA I you know was still dealing with like being rejected from two schools that I tried really hard to get into and for me it wasn't like I'm just gonna sit at home and just pout about it I'm more like, bro, I need to go, I need to go shoot a hundred more shots so I can make three. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's where I feel. So for me, it felt like, dang, this is a pretty good jump shot. It's not on the same side of the court that I thought it was going to be on, but I'm going to take it. So that's, you know, and I, I guess that does come from football. It comes from, yeah, I've been, I've been a competitor in competitive arenas ever since I was five years old. And so I take that to heart and it and I use it to like empower myself instead of you know to hurt anyone else around me right that's cool uh you mentioned your your brother you so you guys were you guys living together out in LA yeah so we so my parents moved to LA um right before I graduated so like May of 2014 okay and my younger brother moved out there with them and then I essentially moved home after college with them. So I was actually splitting a room with Marcellus for okay. a couple of years. Cool. So uh, talk to me a bit about that. I know before we got on the show, we were talking about 
the brother dynamic because I got a brother who I'm working with too. And uh, just, uh, you know, have you guys worked on projects together or anything or what's your guys' relationship been like, I guess, professionally and personally as you are both getting into your own ventures? Yeah. I mean, he, me and him are real tight, man. Like we're, we're best friends. And I, I mean that honestly, like I call him for, for guidance, for just sharing good news, for just working through my ideas. Like, um, when we're in the room together, there's, you know, you get to that point of like being sick of someone pretty quickly, especially when they're family. So there's definitely times where we bumped heads in the room, but like together, we've made music together. We perform together. I've been his hype man. He's been my hype man. We like competitively freestyle battle with each other, we sharpen <laughs> each other. Um, yeah, man, we listen. Like we, sp- I'm, I'll never forget when September Butterfly came out. Kendrick Lamar, we both laid on our beds, turned the lights off, and just listened to the album together, front to back, and we we're just like, damn, because Kendrick was our was both collectively our favorite rapper. Yeah, and it was like, man, there that moment. I shared the opening listen, which is something sacred to me. The opening listen to Kendrick Lamar to a Butterfly <laughs> with my brother, because because I trust his brain to like be on the same wavelength as me right so it's really it's really dope being together man that's awesome yeah i mean nothing quite beats that brother bomb man you can't explain it you nailed it when you said like in the same room like sometimes you want to kill each other but like (laughs) there's still there's still just like something that's indescribable about that and like you know working with each other on stuff and being there for each other like that's it makes it easier to to do things when you got someone by your side for sure well, yeah, what's your relationship like with your brother? I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so growing up, it actually, we weren't as close. Like, growing up, we were, I thought, pretty different. And uh, I think he thought I was the annoying little brother because I was always loud and just talking, like, every second I could talk about anything. <laughs> uh, but I think, like, when we both went to college, like, that's when, you know, we both kind of started sharing a lot of interests and just being active, like, doing cool things, like, being with cool people. We both, you know, started getting interested in entrepreneurship. Um, Our friend group Mm -hmm. started to mix together. You know, a lot of things just started to align. And then everyone, like, just started telling us, you guys are so similar. And we're like, really? Like, (laughs) we didn't even really, we didn't even really notice it, you know, when we were younger. And then I think as we got older and older, um, you know, we're still obviously, we have our own personalities and our own styles. But, you know, from everything we do, value standpoint, you know, we're pretty close. and, And now we you know, we, we work together on, you know, a video production company, like I mentioned, and I'm probably about to go like live at, on his couch, honestly, so we can just hustle together. So we're at this point, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty locked by the hip on most things. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah. same thing like that's you said, man, it's really like, beautiful. it's like, you can still, you know, you can still get annoyed your brother. That's never going to change, but you know, we definitely, we definitely have gotten pretty close and it feels good to, no matter what happens, you know, just got a brother by your side. So so that's kind of what we got yeah. going on. That's dope, man. That's really beautiful. Um, yeah, dude. So, okay. So I wanted to talk cause I know that, uh, Rex had mentioned that you consider yourself more than just a music artist. You consider yourself kind of like a music entrepreneur. I wanted to get a little insight into this. It seems like you definitely kind of take your own route with things and you're doing, you're dabbling in a lot of different different avenues of music and i just wanted to kind of hear a little bit of your insight into 
why you feel compelled to do things the way you do them and, and just kind of like why you identify yourself as more of like a music entrepreneur rather than just an artist. Um, yeah, for sure, man. I mean, that's a, man, I feel like it's a really, it's been a very cognitive journey for me to describe how I describe myself <laughs> and the reasons why, you know what I mean? It's yeah, always absolutely. It's a real, surreal conversation to have, but, I guess that in in total, the higher up I get, the bigger the rooms that I get into, and the more that I see how the music business works, the the more I understand how small of a term an artist is to the industry. And so, but you know, in in my heart. And a music artist is the biggest thing in the industry. There's nothing else without the art. And the artist is the one who creates the art. And so there, all the other terms fall in subcategories to the artist. But when it comes to the business of it, it's like there's the, the artist is usually the hungriest thing. And there's so much competition for the small spots that like they're also the most exploited. And so in some rooms, it's like to be, to call yourself an artist is to say like, yeah, you can exploit me. And so Mm. for me, it's been like, okay, I could definitely become a person who goes into these rooms and gets signed. I could definitely aspire to like, you know, grab the machine to put it behind me. And that could, that could be my aspiration. But at the end of the day, the amount that I bring home, the amount of resources that I get to bring home versus the amount of, of resources that I generate is just, it's a travesty. And so it's, it's become my mission to just create my own machine because I would rather get 100% of $30 than 1% of 1,000. <laughs> you know what mm, I mean? Right. Um, right and so that has just become when i when i walk into a room and i call myself a music entrepreneur there's a different aura when i when when other artists understand that i'm creating the business around my music as well there's a whole different level of respect and you know as an artist we we that's part of what we want is to be recognized to have respect is to be understood as credible and I think, you know, I, I actually have an interest in being a part of the business as well. There's a lot of people that are turned off by the business and hmm. that's perfectly fine because it's very different thinking. You know, it's very different to be in the studio creating what you think is the greatest thing you've ever created and then to have to go into a room and categorize it so that people can understand it and talk about the the alternate story you're going to use to push it to an audience who doesn't know you. It's like, <laughs> very different thinking a lot of, a lot of it can feel limiting but again i think it's that competitor in me that's like you know what i think i can do your job i think i can i think i can be my own publicist you know what i think i can be my own producer you know what i think i can be my own i can do my own pr i can do my i can throw my own shows and I would rather fail doing those things and building my skills in the process than like 
I don't know, like the journey to me is so important. I would rather like drag my way all the way up into uh, an arena tour than to just be plopped there, you know? And so the, the music business aspect of it is, has just kind of evolved with me over time. Dang. That, yeah, that's really cool, man. I think that's a, that's a yeah, unique way to look at it, right? Because most people probably, you said, pick one thing and you're trying to say, well, why, why not? Why can't I make this work? And you got a genuine, genuine interest in it. And yeah, I mean, right. what you said about, what you said about like the whole, you know, I've always thought that music is so fascinating because I think sometimes people don't like really realize, like you hear a song and you're like, that was deep. But then you go back on it again and you think, well, that was, that was, that came from the person's experiences or heart or like that is a part of their story. And it's a vulnerable thing when people just do that. But then it's not often interpreted in the same way when someone's singing about their life and you hear it, you know, you try to internalize it in right. your own way. So talking about that dynamic of, of just making people understand your music. I've always had that so fascinating when you start to actually get into the depth of what songs are really trying to tell you. It's, yeah. You can go on a trip sometimes. <laughs> yeah, man, that's been, uh, I'm, I, honestly, I think that's been the most difficult thing to try to take on is the marketing. And that's why I, I feel very compelled to learn more about it because it it can defeat you, bro. Like when you, like I'm sure you feel the same way when you create something, especially with your brother. It's like, bro, when you take something that doesn't exist and you put it into existence, into a, a real thing that's tangible, it makes you feel so proud about it. And then when you have to, when there's people telling you like, yo, I know that you're really proud of this thing, but these people are not going to understand it. Or, you know, there's like barriers to understanding what it is you're trying to convey. It's like you immediately feel dejected. It's like, what do you mean? It's good <laughs> enough to stand on its own. It doesn't need a mark. It doesn't need a story. It just needs to just be heard. That's it. And that's how everybody feels in a way. But, you know, learning, learning, the biggest thing I've learned in marketing is that I listen to music like and I'm a true minority in the way that I listen to music because I listen to the words first. I listen to the story first hmm. and almost no one listens to music that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And if, and if I was to sit in a chair and listen to music the way that other people listen to music statistically, I would hear the same things that they hear, which is like, Oh damn, this beat doesn't bang as hard as it should. Oh dang. This, um, this top line isn't cutting through the way that that like 15 other songs on the radio are cutting through like, and that's what they're listening to. You know, it's a really, yeah. it's a really uh, different process. Yeah, man. It's, and when you feel like you do something different than others and I always in my own brain and I could just be making it up, feel like I view things a different way. And you're right. Sometimes you, it makes so much sense in your own head. And then right. you don't want to change it because you're like, though this is this is the reflection of me. So that right. com that complex, interesting man. I'm just, I mean, I'm just started. I just graduated in May, so it's been it's been eight months. So I haven't I haven't had the 
that point, but I know it's coming where there's going to be like this reflection point where people are going to be like, okay, I got to get this message across in new ways. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited for that. I think that's just the challenge of it too. It's, it's how do you, how do you convey what you want to convey in a way that you can still keep your authenticity and your, you know, your message alive and and true to yourself. So that's interesting, man. That's really interesting. Um, so I want to get like the the life of a musician, man, or an entrepreneur, you know, as you, you know, just the behind the scenes of that. I want to like talk about one, I mean, I was talking about the football failure where you wanted to go to the NFL, it didn't work out, but kind of like behind mm-hmm. the scenes of, I mean, I know it can be tough. You know, we just talked about some things at the creator, but is there, is there kind of one moment of a failure or rejection that sort of ended up shaping, you know, the musician or the, entrepreneur that you are today um and that behind the scenes sort of process that maybe not a lot of people know about yeah i mean uh, just like with any industry there's so many different levels of competence and there's so many there's uh, for whatever reason it just feels like when like everyone technically should be some type of i mean you are an entrepreneur when you are doing independent music but there are some people who who are not entrepreneurs they're they're artists they're musicians and so when you're trying to do like a diy video it's like you're not going to get a full professional effort from everyone involved if that's not what they're dedicated to and so when it comes to like the 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 idea phase the ideation phase the creation phase with creatives is amazing bro like we can go so many different avenues and do so many different things to try to come up with something. But then when it comes to the logistics, the money, the scheduling, the, like all of that, mm. it's like, man, bro, that becomes the, the bigger obstacle. And so I, I remember I had a video I had, I was trying to do a video for this song called the burden of forgiveness for a minute. And so basically I had uh, a blog reached out to me and they were like, Hey, we're trying to do pieces on people that are in the Valley. We heard your, we heard some of your stuff. We would love to do a piece on you. And me being a competitor, I was like, okay, dope. I'm going to do a new song and you guys can just get a premiere. And so I bought a beat. I went to the studio, paid money for studio time. I brought a vocal producer to the studio, paid her. I paid for the mix and the master that took a whole like two, three weeks and money and then i hired a band for the first time ever i like went on i yeah like hit my hit my homie up and i was like yo i don't know how to put a band together can you help me do it we had uh people submit videos of them playing i met with a bunch of different people and then we i paid for rehearsal space we did like four different rehearsals i bought snacks for the rehearsals i had to drive the drummer to two different rehearsals i got him from like across the town and you know like i'm trying to run this like a business and i'm financing it myself and then we get to the shoot and i and these two like high school kids come with this little dinky camera they come like two hours late and eventually they email me after the whole shoot being like yo so i don't think we have the audio capabilities to 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 do this because the band was like overpowering what we could handle and so I was just out a video and all of that stuff, you know, oh, dang. if I, and if I was looking at it, like, like what I needed with the video, 
I would have interjected. But honestly, I had never put a band together before and I had done it and it sounded great. It didn't get captured, but I learned how to put a band together. And I had never really like rented rehearsal spaces before. And I learned like the process of renting rehearsal spaces and I like financed the whole project. It didn't get made, but I figured out how to do it. And so like the business side of it for me has always been like the results are hardly ever what I set out to do. It's like, oh, I want to uh, go get a A-side publishing deal. Like that didn't happen, but we did get a little publishing for this music library that got us into like a little bit of TV stuff, you know? And it's like, we are just continuously pushing on the business front with like big ideas, but there's just, when you're doing a DIY, you're doing it independent, there's so many obstacles because everybody brings a different level of competence to the business side of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool that, I mean, that's cool that you took away those positives. I don't know how long it took you to take away those positives, but I mean, <laughs> you know, that's it might not hit you right away, but I mean, that's, it's good to, to see what you learned through that. And yeah, man, I always find it interesting too. I, you know, I look at, I told you about my roommate uh, at school, you know, as a, as a growing and young successful musician and, you know, just by living with him and watching him, you realize how much business goes on in music. I feel like, yeah. you know, when you're growing up in high school, you're like, oh, these kids on SoundCloud and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they could have been talented, but I feel like there's a distinguishing factor, which is like the business. People don't understand, I think, from an outsider's perspective until you see it, which is music's about way more than just can you sing or can you can you make a song? There's like oh yeah, so much going on there. Uh and like you said, you make a video, you make whatever. It's it's not just about how beautiful the creation is. It's about the execution of the logistics and getting it out there and everything. So that's definitely yeah. highlighting that and understanding that there's a lot more going on to the work of creatives uh, in the world is is the thing that, that it needs to be understood for sure. I, I would also say that, like, especially for like one of like, one of the hardest things that you think is not going to be an issue is how to value yourself or someone else it's like when especially when you're when you know you get used to doing things for free or you get used to doing things with homies it's like when somebody sees you doing something with a homie and they're like yo i want you to do that over here how much like a lot of times we think that someone else is just gonna give us a bag of money but most of the times that discussion is like you tell me how much you're worth and i will pay it you know and that's like that's a, a difficult conversation. World, yeah. <laughs> because you never really have to think about, you know, how much do I value my travel time, my preparation? How much do I value my, my appearance? Like, you know, what is the opportunity cost for me to be at that thing and not be at, you know, the other 12 things I could be doing to try to get my music career off the ground? Like those, that, those are the discussions that forced me to be like, oh, you know, I need to go to the drawing board and figure out how do I look at myself as an asset and how do I value that asset to, to strangers, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for sure going to be a learned skill over time. I mean, that, I, I totally resonate with you there when someone approaches, approaches you to do something and they're just straight up asking you, how much do you charge? And you're like, well, you, know, you don't want to come off like a hot shot and like throw out some crazy big <laughs> yeah. number, but you also don't want to 
lowball yourself, you know, like, so finding that perfect middle ground is, uh, is for sure an interesting process and something that it's hard to identify. Right. Um, cool, man. Well, I'm curious about like, what's one of the most meaningful songs or projects that you've made and, uh, and why I'm interested. Man, that's a, uh, I feel like I'm giving the same, the same pre-answer every time. That's a really hard question. But <laughs> I'm digging in, man. I would say there's, you know, the one project that I have where the experience is unmatched is an album I did called What is America? And it was mm. with my, my friend Huey Stonefish, who's a part of this comedy improv group called Lou Burger. And they were just on NBC for Bring the Funny. Oh, right on. Finalists. Really dope dude. Him and his brother, Avery, who Avery lives in Chicago, and I've, I've been connecting with him as well. Um, we drove from Los Angeles to New York in a car, and we just recorded the album on the road. And we we That's told awesome. ourselves we weren't gonna do it it was the tightest like it's just unmatched like nothing will ever it's it, when i listen to it now it still makes me emotional because it brings me to the place because we did it in a place in a space of mind and so our whole thing was like well we, we have to do we we filmed the whole thing as well like when we stop for gas or food or anything we have to get out we have to interview people but we can only ask them one question which is what is america and just mind-blowing bro the more you go across the country wow. the more like the idea of freedom changes but it's the sense to everyone freedom is the same thing but literally freedom means that <laughs> one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum exists simultaneously that's the freedom you know it's like there's so many interesting bubbles that america actually lives in and we got to go through a lot of them asking the same question and it just became a really beautiful piece of work that will always be a special, a special place for me. Man, I'm going to have to give that a listen. Uh, that's crazy, man. That's, that's funny you mentioned that cause that is right on my bucket list. Where'd you like, where'd you start from and where'd you end, end in? So we started in, well, we started in LA and then we drove to, Arizona one of my homies had just gotten drafted by the Cardinals so we stayed with him nice. and then we went to Colorado where I had some homies from college so we drove like Arizona to Colorado and then we went from Colorado to Minnesota and hey, bro Minnesota town? yeah it was like we stayed with my girlfriend's parents but at that time Philando Castile his uh funeral procession was happening oh dang and like the mayor the people were like camped outside of the mayor like house and we did a bunch of interviews around just that that day it was like one of the most somber days but we got to be at home and then we went to chicago and then we just drove straight from chicago to new york wow that's awesome to, um, syracuse like upstate new york yeah yeah. See, I've always had a similar yeah. idea, man, where I'm like, I want to get, I want to get in a van or I want to get somewhere and I just want to go and just like explore America and just have, have just like a set list of like, like you did, you had one question, but just have a set list of questions and just try to understand more the dynamics of 
of the U.S., man, because it's so – I mean, I, th- this year is actually the first time I ever went down south, and I was like, dang, okay, this is different. <laughs> Bro, it's a whole different – like, we didn't even – the thing Everything is, we didn't even go down south. And if we would have went down south, bro, it would have just tanked. Like, it's a whole different place, you know? Yeah. I strongly encourage you to do it, bro, because we didn't even think we – we didn't have any money or anything, bro. We did a fun – we did a a GoFundMe. A GoFundMe. Hell we had, yeah. We had, we had no idea how to even do a GoFundMe. We just did it, put up a bunch of videos, and ended up meeting our goal after, like, 40 days or whatever. But yeah, it was completely funded and we just did it. And then we flew back. Basically, Huey's brother drove the car to LA and then we drove their car back to their parents in New York. And then we flew back home and then we got the project mixed at home. But we were like, while we're on the road, that's the only time we can create anything. We can't bring anything with us prior to leaving. And when we leave, we can't touch anything creatively. It'll just be a mix. And so it just, whatever happened, happened, bro. And, and honestly, like when you do this, which I know you will, like it'll make you emotional every time you you watch the footage or listen back to the audio or anything. It's crazy. Dude, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, man. <laughs> dude, I wow, mean, I, dude, I love your story, man, because I just feel like your mindset has always just been like, I'm going to do it, and then you just figure out a way to do it. And I I just love that because I feel like we live in a in a beautiful world where there is a lot of – we got access to a lot of things, and it's just finding a way to make things work. And you're like, I'm going to put up a GoFundMe, and we're going to make this thing happen. And, and you did it. That's pretty legit, man. Dude, I, I, I can't remember where I heard this. There was a really good piece of advice where it was like the, the difference between the man singing in front of a million people and the person who's too scared to sing is that the man singing is singing scared. You know what I mean? It's like there's no, you don't become this fearless being. You don't become this humanless robot who doesn't feel the emotions that scare you from doing things. So you just learn that you have to navigate them in the moment and you have to just troubleshoot and you have to just improvise and you have to, you know, plan as much as you can, but plan change, you know? And once you become familiar with that, with that, with that, like the way that world works, then it just, you become excited by the fear. And so, honestly, like, that's how I feel. When something scares me, I'm like, oh, that's the opportunity right there, baby. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, absolutely. I was just reading this thing, this, like, performance coach, too. He was saying the same thing. He was like, you know, your emotions are going to happen. You're a human. You're going to be sad, happy, angry, fearful, whatever. But your feelings and how you choose to react to those things and – you know, that's, that's up to you. So you can be courageous or right. you can let the fear take you over. You can choose to be all sad and depressed, or you can choose to have the sadness teach you something or learn or listen to it or learn from it. Or so there's just those cool perspectives right. as you, as you continue to do those things. So yeah, that's a, that's a great quote. Um, yeah, well, I'm going to ask you a few more questions and I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you get going with your life. But, um, I, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm curious about, um, I mean, it seems like, you know, you have, 
there's some sort of deeper mission here for you with, with music and entrepreneurship. And I mean, I'm sure I know you enjoy it, but is there, you know, when you think about like, why do you love doing what you do? What do you, what do you say? What do you say to yourself? Um, I think if, if it's getting to the goal, like with, with my audience, I just want to create thinkers before I create a consumer. And I really enjoy storytelling, dude. Like not like I enjoy the layered long anthologies of multiple stories winding into each other. Like I've always enjoyed that. And with music, it feels like the only way to communicate those things that feel like you are are incommunicable. It's like how do I like this? And I get that with comedy too, where there's these, when I watch a stand-up comedian, I watch them dissect these interesting scenarios where it feels like you're the only one in the world going through it. And there's no way to talk about how absurd this thing that's happening on the train is because six years ago, this other thing happened. And you realize in that moment that people are this way. It's like, I feel like music gives me the language to speak about those types of things. And so for me, it's like I, w- I want to unlock things in people that allow them to think beyond the obstacles that retain them. And if that gets them to buy the music, dope. But if that gets them to like have a better relationship with their brother or that gets them to forgive their dad or that gets them to quit school and start a business or to quit their job and go back to school, because that's something that they love to do, then I feel like I can connect to them because that's what music makes me feel like, you know? Yeah. So that's like the, I guess that would be my, my hope is that it touches people in ways that creates positive, massive positive change. Cool. I'm sure it does, man. I'm sure it does. That's, that's cool, man. That's awesome. Uh, so looking forward here now we got, you said you just dropped an EP. We got a, we got a big year coming up. Everyone's, everyone's hyping the new decade, man. Everyone's hyping 2020. Uh, what kind of things you're working on right now? Are they all, are they all secret? You can't, you not tell me yet. (laughs) Um, I'm working on, so I have two larger projects in the works and they're really, they're really parallel, but, um, like Blender is about me quitting my job. Uh, that job, I worked at a trailer company. So we were doing like movie trailers and I was working in the music department of a trailer company. And I also became the in-house voiceover guy at the trailer company. And so I was the only person in the building with two incomes at the same job, but I had two jobs in the same building, you know? And I quit that job because we had a dispute over my voice and to me that is more than just a professional issue that's a moral issue because we just talked about you know learning how to value yourself it's like yo i've had to learn how to value my voice i've had to learn how to practice to become competitive with anything with my voice and you know the conversation transpired how it did and i ended up leaving and so blender is about me blending all all these things together to understand who I am 
um, because it is like I'm doing so many different things at once, especially when I was in LA. It was like, I had a, I was a part of this uh, residency program at this company called Stereo. It was like the inaugural residency. I was also working at this trailer company, but I was also pitching to the trailer company with my partnership at the studio. And then we also had this publishing deal through the studio. And like, I was a huge part of all of those things. And I was still pushing myself as an artist and throwing events. And so it's like, once the job left, a lot of things started changing. And then I ended up in Chicago. <laughs> and so Blender's kind of like how I felt transitioning from that life in LA to where I am in Chicago. And I have another, I have like a album that I'm working on. It's called Blackbird, which is about taking the leap of faith into your dream. Um, and essentially like jumping off the nest and hoping that your wings work. <laughs> Dang, cool. Well, I'll be excited to hear those, man. Those sound like two pretty meaningful things to you. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah All right. Man, well, I got too. I got two more questions. Um, this one I ask every single person that comes onto the show because it's kind of the theme of my show, Live an Extraordinary Life. And I think that it's different for every single person. And um, so if you could just like share with me one thing that you know is really important to you to have a insert any word, happy life, extraordinary life, the life that you're enjoying, what would be like one or two of those variables you think that have to be there? In order for you to do what nice. you love, do what you love every day. That's the, that's the one rule I live by. Do what you love every day because it's a two-parter. It forces you to have to know what you love in order to do it. And then you got to just do it every day, no matter what, even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's an hour, even if it's whatever, because the amount of development that you will instill into your life and the amount of energy that you will pull towards that goal and the amount of focus that everyone around you will start to have towards your goals. That's the catalyst, I think, to a lot of success in life is it, you have to be persistent. You have to be committed. You have to be dedicated and you have to know that you love it. And eventually good things will happen. Word. Cool. Well, my last question is just, uh, where should I send listeners to kind of look you up? Like you want me to drop your website link, a, you know, Spotify link, uh, where should I send people to Instagram to learn more about you and what you do if they want to look into your music and your work? You can find me just at keenanthefirst.com. Everything is linked to that. So people can go wild. <laughs> people can go wild. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect, man. Well, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for letting me uh, talk to you today. I, it was honestly a pleasure hearing your story, man, and just chatting. And I love your perspective and, and what you want to do in the world. So hopefully we can, we can link up again soon and keep doing big things out there, man. Yeah, man. I'm really, I'm really glad you reached out. And I'm also glad that we got to speak a little bit beforehand and in this, because I definitely want to pick your brain more about what you're doing. So this has been, this has been great, man. I'm really grateful. Thanks for listening to another episode. I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Keenan the First. I hope that his story inspired you in some way and his words of wisdom that he left with us, which were 
do what you love, instilled a desire to act on your dreams, to act on the things that you love, and to gain clarity on the things that you love as well. So if you want to learn more about Keenan, listen to his music, hear about what he's been up to, I'm going to link his website in the show notes, as I mentioned, and that has links to all the other things that he has been working on. So as always, people, go live an extraordinary life. Until next time.